if you want to see rooftop tents on Tacomas, go to Overland Expo. If you want to see Jeeps, go to Toledo Jeep Fest or um, Easter Jeep Safari. And it's like nothing but the the straight. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to do cocaine, just do it straight. Don't cut it. <laughs> Welcome to the Author Road Again podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Ross. And I'm Dan. <laughs> this is our podcast about anything and everything off road. Uh, tonight, we're more back in our wheelhouse of kind of off road overlandy. We're still socially distant. Uh, we're much closer than the last time we spoke. Um, Ross is in uh, the Northeast. I'm in the Midwest. And Dan's on the West side of Canada. That's right. Yeah. I'm in British Columbia. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Way closer than Australia was last time. So, <laughs> and, <laughs> and way colder, too, I'll add. Yeah, way colder. I think last time we had you when you were still in your uh, hotel quarantine for arriving in country down there. That's right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Is this possibly the first time that we have spoken when we're all in the same hemisphere? Um, that could be. <laughs> I think I'm not sure where you were at the first, first time. time. Was I in Africa? I can't even remember myself. It was. I want to say you were back this side, but was... I'm not sure either during or at the end of the Africa adventure. So either anyway. way, welcome back to the, to the Western <laughs> yeah. Hemisphere. Welcome the back glory to the cold. Of, yeah, the yeah. glory of video conferencing. Doesn't matter. That's Doesn't right. Matter. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the uh, to the winter that you're experiencing for the first time in a while. So Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Driving, <laughs> it's something to concentrate on. <laughs> When's the last time you thought about snow tires? I saw that video where you pulled the, uh, the Africa Jeep out of storage and and you put not just like all terrains but actual winters on it yeah no having not driven on the snow for like two and a half years i decided that i better go for real winter tires so that when i was sliding into a ditch i would say well <laughs> i mean at least i tried yeah <laughs> a for effort maybe not maybe for execution just... but you know that's right yeah it's it's an an entirely different animal so in the, in the ice and the snow as well my Chris my knows. My favorite, well, it snowed here today, which they canceled school, which is just an abomination of horrible because all the roads were clear by like 9.45 in the morning. I was like, we couldn't have done a late start. Like we could have like get all these kids out of my house. But um, yeah, my favorite snow fact is that the best coefficient, oh man, coefficient, coefficient of, fri of friction on snow is snow. Correct. Which is why open log <laughs> tires do better in and on snow because they pack more snow in and they create more friction. I feel Dan like doesn't I, believe it. I, I feel like I just went like mind equals drone. I'm like, what? what, what? I, yeah. I don't. Okay. That's that why sense. something like a Goodyear Duratrac does better than uh, like a KO2 in the snow because it basically. Over the holds same surface the area, holds more snow, packs more snow in, and grips more. I mean, the only thing we can say is that you know there are studded tires, which right <laughs> throws the conversation out the window. But that that's no longer uh, a coefficient of friction. That's just spikes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it turns out pointy things are really good at grabbing onto other things, as uh, no. ice climbers and ice skaters, and yeah, all those people know. So yeah. So Ross, do yeah. you have any updates? Um, a couple updates. So I spent last week with the Cadillac CT5V Blackwing. And Ooh. 
as of this conversation, the reviews on Hooniverse. And uh, it is a glorious, glorious machine. Um, <laughs> I mean, the last CTSV was spectacular. The CTSV before that was spectacular. Like the CTSV has always just kind of been like an M5. If you, you know, pull 20 grand worth of uh, fit and finish and, and material quality out and add 10 of that back in engine. And the <laughs> Blackwing is exactly that. It is, uh, it is not slow. It is surprisingly agile for something, you know, the size of what's effectively a five series. And it makes some awesome noises. So yes, it does. That was that was a good time. Um, that left and has been replaced by the Land Rover Defender One Hundred and Thirty, which, as Doug mentioned, is troubling to look at. <laughs> it's <laughs> not ideal. I think is the phrase. The rear hangover behind the rear axle is enormous like it is it has well a, yeah it's a full-size suv yeah. designed to hold more craft welcome to suburban land um yes but as we <laughs> had a conversation about suburban wheelbase is stretched versus tahoe wheelbase d130 yes. wheelbase is not stretched versus d110 wheelbase so they just went and just bumped the back out and it is you know um the good thing is that it doesn't change anything about the way the Defender acts or drives or behaves in any way, because that is very good. The not so good thing is that you have to look at it. <laughs> um, yeah. It's yeah, yeah it, it's a lot of, of untouched metal back there. So, so, so Dan, Ross put this picture in our Car Guy Hooniverse Slack channel and everybody was like, oh my God, it's so gross. And I was like, guys, it looks totally normal to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't. Because I live in large extended SUV land all you the time. You live in like, three-row land. Yeah, I have to have three rows plus cargo. Now, I will argue, this isn't long enough. It needs like another foot to get me to where I could then have enough space yeah. approaching Suburban. Uh, then then you're not looking in Land Rover land. That is not, no. not how it goes. So I didn't even realize this is the new 130. It does not have a 130-inch wheelbase. It does not. Oh, does not. It, I, it I had no idea they did that what they call the 110 inch wheelbase yeah. i see i see so yeah mm -hmm. there, there is no 130 you know officially although like kind of like yeah. in the old school it is a sales proposition and yep. i mean as we all know they'll probably sell every single one of them because it's got it it walks the walk and it you know looks the look yep um I didn't. Okay, I am not a Land Rover guy. I didn't know they were numbers based on wheelbase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, genius. Like the Defender ninety, the two door ninety, yeah, the 110, 110 inch mm -hmm. wheelbase, and then one hundred thirty inch wheelbase. Yep. Like that was yeah. you know since uh, when was that nineteen fifty nineteen sixty? Yeah, so yeah. after it came off like series two, then they started with the, the yeah. wheelbase based things. Yeah, so. Yeah, the, the 130 that's not a 130 still drives like a 110, just with okay. more to deal with on the, you know, departure angle. Right, so there it is. Yeah, that's right. Uh, departure angle yeah. of horrible, but oh otherwise. It's, it's, it's not good. It's like a gladiator. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> Sore subject, eh? No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah, so that's my that's my uh, press car update. Other updates. Um Accessorides was kind enough to send over a remote start kit for the Lexus, which is uh, kind of a sore subject on my side because 
Lexus did this stupid thing where they incorporated remote start into a 3G service. And then they- I'm sorry? They incorporated their remote start into a 3G service. So when they stopped their 3G service, the remote start ability completely disappeared. Um, so it was so, like a subscription model type thing. As long as you paid to continue the 3G, you got to keep your remote start? To a point. And then when they no longer participate in that 3G capability, the remote start capability is completely gone. There is no remote start for the GX460. <laughs> um, so Accessorides makes a plug and play kit and they were kind enough to send it over and I'm going to hopefully get it installed this Saturday. Um, You're going to plug and play it. I'm going to plug and play it, which entails pulling off part of my dashboard and uh, and hopefully the weather is, you know, above 40 degrees. So, yes, thank you, Accessorides, um, in advance. And this is what it looks like. Oh. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Does it? Wiry, dongly thing. Does do you it know now? This... No, you go, Dan. Sorry, do you know now, is that a 4G remote start or is it a traditional um, <laughs> old like remote like we used it to is, have? It is paired directly to the OEM Lexus key fob. It is okay. not tied okay. into any other service. So, I was like, the Suburban has yeah. 4G LTE that I pay for every month. Yes, you have Wi-Fi, we know. But it's so my kids can stream stuff and leave me alone for yes. a bit of time. The best is when you drive through like, uh no, dead zones in montana and they're like what are we gonna do and i'm like watch the dvd player that's actually in the view like they're so spoiled like it's just disgusting See, my kid's streaming service is she looks in the mirror that i have mounted on the headrest and it basically shows what's coming up on the road in front of her in the opposite direction so <laughs> uh that's yeah cool. so that's all my updates other than that um chris and i have started talking about possibly going to expo east down in it was a Tennessee or Virginia. It is Arrington, Virginia. There. So it is the only expo I did not attend last summer. All right. So the well, one that you did. I shouldn't is the say one that. that. We're talking about is Arrington. The big three are West, Mountain West, and and um, East, right? I'm. I'm mm -hmm. I apologies to people in the Pacific Northwest, but I'm I'm leaving uh, P PNW off that list. Uh, I did so technically. I only attended fifty percent of them last summer because I did West and Mountain West. So. I've heard East is a good time as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, East is a really good time. I was there in 2019 and it's it's fun. It's like West used to be maybe 10 years ago where it's just kind of small and fun and you know everyone by name. It, it mm. isn't so big that it's, you know, kind of a huge big dog and pony show. Well, that's good. So that was the fun part for me to attend West is there were so many people that we've had on the show that I've never been around in real life. Like technically, Ross and I still haven't been in the same space together. So this is true. Which is so if this happens, we're gonna try. Be... And, that would be the time where we actually finally are, are physically in the same. I can look down on him uh, instead of yep. me looking up at him on the video. Yep. Um, <laughs> that is hilarious. Yep. But yeah, it was great to see people in real life and just kind of you know shake hands with a lot of people you've only really talked to on Instagram before and things like that. So or via the podcast. So yes. Yeah. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully the stars align and we can make this happen. So my update we alluded to as we were starting to record has just become, I think shit show is the appropriate term for it. Um, we, we're, the podcast was invited to go on a rally uh, here at the beginning of April out in Utah. 
Um, there is a day that was referred to as light rock crawling. And with Ross's GX is probably the, the most able of all of our vehicles. But for him, it's six days round trip to drive from Connecticut out to Utah and back. Um, six days. And awesome. yeah. Yeah. If you're really pushing it. And then all of my stuff isn't really armored enough for, for that kind of uh, travel. And the Suburban's way too big. Um, the Sequoia actually launched a fuel pump over the weekend. So mm. it, it, so Yum. I'm trying to find a hundred series again. I had, uh, an LX, an 04, 05. I can never remember the year of it. I had an LX 470, um, which then turned into eventually an 80 series. And now I'd like to get back into a hundred series. Um, and I have started looking that the issue is not the available vehicles. The issue is my price point. Um, the, the price range I'm looking at is like three to $8,000. And it's just, yeah, it's just so tight. And anyone you find that is uh, a good candidate is gone in seconds. Like six years ago, you could have bought two of them for that right, budget. Right. And, and I, I just would, I'd rather have the V8, um, I've, I've driven the 80 series in the Rocky Mountains, and while it did do everything I needed it to do out there, I I don't want to do that again. It was just so slow. Uh, spending your day at 3,000 RPMs is not fun. Um, so <laughs> trying to trying to get back into a hundred series, um, and that's I the joke that I said earlier is like they they exist but they're unicorns. And then Ross, I don't know how to open these images. Yeah, than... you're probably better off not. I went on Dolly and typed in. Uh, Land Cruiser 80 series unicorn, 100 series unicorn, among other things. And it, it generated um, eyesores. To yes. Create, it, to say yeah. the least of it. Um, Even the unicorns are, I mean, <laughs> the one did add a rainbow, which I appreciate, but the other unicorns yeah. are just kind of, it's like uh, uh, stuffed animals you see at the fair. That have where, been on the shelf for like four years too long. Yeah. Or the, the country of origin where they were made has literally no reference of what a unicorn is. So <laughs> or isn't a country anymore. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is that I, I typed in, I think one of them was 80 series and one of them was 100 series. And the first of the two images kind of looks like a first gen forerunner. And the second of the two doesn't really look like any Toyota product ever, except for maybe like a fifth gen forerunner that got matched with the white ones yeah if you'd have told me that was a soviet product i'd have been like okay yes it is it is <laughs> a lot of neva with forerunner design cues that's exactly what I, yeah absolutely so yeah so. pro tip don't dolly a uh <laughs> any of that so, so the search continues i would say um I will point, uh, throw some love to um, Matt Hardigree at the Autotopian because so I've just been constantly looking through different listings all over the place. And he wrote a piece today uh, on how Facebook Marketplace is just absolutely ruining his sanity. And I 100% felt everything about his article. Um, sorry, I was trying to pull it up real fast to share it. He was like, I think Facebook Marketplace is starting to take my sanity. And that is 100% <laughs> where I have felt. Because like it's a 100 series. They're, they all had the 4.7 V8, some variety of it, right? And it's either got a 4-speed transmission or a 5-speed, depending on years. But when was the timing belt done? It's the first question everyone's going to ask. Because that's all that matters. It's the weakest point of that engine. If, if you but don't know that. It's not even that hard to do. 
Right. But that's the question that everybody wants to know. And so like, there's one right now that I want to offer nearby. I'll offer. And I, to be honest, I did offer him amount of money, but they're way higher. And it's about due for the service. Like it's like 5,000 miles away from having to do for the service. Like, yeah. And, and a shop I, doing it, it's like 1100 bucks for a shop to do it. And you do it yourself. I, I would say pre-inflation numbers, it might've been 1100. Yeah, okay. We're yeah. probably closer uh, to two grand now. Three so. years ago when I was working on yeah. four, seven, um, Two so, oh my god, the parts to do it are like three hundred bucks. Right. Well, the fuel pump on the Sequoia was sixteen hundred bucks. So I just yeah. The anyway, pump in the tank. Yeah, and you have Wait, to drop you... the tank to do it. Oh, you have to there's drop... no uh... there's no catch like there are in so many other vehicles where you just pop out a couple of bolts and you can get to the fuel pump there pretty quick and easy. The straps okay because that's a big Toyota thing too. Is the straps that hold the tanks in place uh... tend to rot out and then. You the fuel tank starts to sag and it kills the fuel. Yeah. They, they went through it and the dealer, this dealer is known for doing the, while you're in there, so they'll add those on and they did not mention them at all. So um, okay. I'm assuming we're okay. I do do pretty good job of every time it snows, trying to run those things through a car wash real fast. Um, I don't, our local car wash has the rust preventative in the underbody blast, whether that works or not uh, remains to be seen, but those straps seem to be in working order still. There's um, nothing different about that other than, <laughs> it's just trust, trust me like, i i'm i'm on the amount of money so i have unlimited a month and based on mm. I, the ones that i know like they're losing money on me like <laughs> uh, so it's uh yeah. we'll, we'll put the call out there if anybody knows the 100 series land cruiser or lx 470 three to eight thousand dollar range hit me up yep right kurt I'm sure you can find one <laughs> i i <laughs> have already emailed curves oh, have you? <laughs> <laughs> well like the, the glory of the off-road or overland world is like you send someone an email you cannot always expect a response within a week's time like there's a very yeah. high likelihood that they're out in the woods for at least a week so right but you'll get a response it's just yeah, oh, yeah. It people, operates people on respond. ye oldy mail yeah. communication methods yeah I never so, really judge anybody when we talk to them because a hundred percent, that's what it is all the time. Yeah. So. Yep. I know. Yeah. Kurt was in Iceland or something when we were trying to get him on the show. It's <laughs> like, wait. Well, and right now the, our biggest scheduling issue is King of the Hammers comes up in early February. Yeah. And just about every guest I've talked to recently is like, well, I have a commitment in early February. And I was like, is King of the Hammers? And they're like, how'd you know? It's like, cause the entire industry is headed that way, guys. Like Gosh, Johnson Valley's going to be full. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, we got to make it out there at some point. Yeah. So, anyways, goals. Uh, speaking of making it out there, Dan, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You did survive. You did. <laughs> I, I And it's funny, I didn't see that many deadly creatures uh, until I did. And then suddenly I saw like thousands of them. <laughs> In one was clip it, or like... I was like, was that one spider's nest? Yeah. Like a thousand? Like oh, seriously. No, no. So, you know, like Australia full of deadly things. And like, yep. it's funny, like it's a caricature, but then sometimes you look around and you're like, oh yeah, like that's a deadly snake. And like and they are around. Um, and then when we got up <laughs> into the north of the country, so kind of like the top third has crocodiles and okay. the big, like people eating crocodiles. And you can basically see like dozens of them every day if you want to. Oh, like gosh. they are, you, you cannot go in the water of any variety because the crocodiles will eat you like 100% guaranteed. So, okay, two follow-up questions to that. So, first of all, <laughs> A, are there are I, I think 
I don't know if it was you, but I think somebody mentioned that there are crocodiles you can swim with that are not deadly. Freshwater crocodiles, maybe? That's correct, yes. Okay. Um, so uh, question A part two is how do you not be completely terrified of it being the one, you know, saltwater that made it in there? And <laughs> two, what kind of <laughs> preparation do you do for an excursion and experience like this? So set the stage. For the listeners, uh, Dan recently completed a uh, multi-month excursion. 18 months? 18, was it 18, 18 months? months. Yeah, 36,000 miles. <laughs> so quite a long travel around Australia. And as everybody knows, Australia has, you know, some less than friendly creatures. Um, what? So, yeah. So let's start with the second question. How do you, how did you, like, we know people that have done, you know, crazy, crazy, like preparation classes for, you know, dealing with military, dealing with poisonous animals, dealing with that kind of stuff. How did you get yourself set for this? Yeah, well, Australia is kind of a funny one because it's just one country. And so there's no border crossings, there's no visas, there's no language barriers, there's no changing money, there's no corrupt military. And and so it's funny, oh, like, yeah. I mean, in theory, there's no. <laughs> Every military is a little crap. You, you just don't have to deal with any of that. So it's kind of strange. Like Australia is actually like quite an easy place to go and have amazing overland adventures. Like in real remote desert landscapes, you we went ten days without seeing another person or vehicle. Oh my ten God. days. Ten yeah. days. Yeah, we drove the world's most remote four-wheel drive track, uh, the Canning Stock Route. It was incredible. But you, you can just like fly to Australia next week, like rent a, a Land Cruiser and drive that. And it's totally right there. It's actually very, very achievable and very doable. Um, so yeah, you, you raise a good point. Like first aid training is essential. And then obviously mm. you really got to think about how much water you bring and how much food and mm. be self-sufficient because we covered a thousand miles in 10 days and there was nobody out there and we were probably the last people for the year to drive the track so Mm -hmm. nobody was coming to help us wow you were more about fuel or or water um both i guess (laughs) (laughs) yes we're about yes (laughs) it's funny when you say that because during my planning i was thinking you know towards the end like on day eight or whatever if we realize we're running low on water we can just start rationing it and be really careful and drink a little less and and don't even have coffee or anything like that. Mm. But if you're running out of fuel, there's nothing you can do. You yeah, can't ration so it. Well. <laughs> right. Like, right. Yeah. So in a funny sense, fuel actually was more of a concern because if we ran out, that was it. We were hooped. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's yeah. So it, in terms of the animal thing, <laughs> this is like a. A questionable subject for a lot of people because a lot of people's reasons to not go exploring is animals. So, did you have to do any like preemptive, like psychological training at least to say, okay, so if I'm, you know, in this area or vicinity, I can't go this far into the woods because, or the, you know, the, the bush because there's the potential of this? No, you don't do any training. Um, you, you talk to locals. There's enough other people getting around. And and, and I, I'm i not so worried about like sharks and snakes and spiders because I, I grew up there and I kind of I have a handle on how that works. But I was terrified of the crocodiles because I have zero experience. <laughs> I think they're evil. I don't like them at all. And so I genuinely like every time we met someone who'd been up there, I was like, 
tell me everything about crocodiles. I like, <laughs> can we camp here? Can we do this? Can we like, that was I your want, catalyst. Yeah. I He's... wanted to know everything. Um, and, it, and it's funny. Yeah. Like you were saying, there's, there's the deadly ones typically called saltwater crocodiles and they will categorically eat you and that's it. But then we have these ones called freshwater crocodiles and they're a little bit more like alligators. They're quite a bit smaller and they basically never attack people. It's sort of unheard of. Mm. And at first people were telling me like, oh yeah, you can go swimming with those. It's no problem. And I was like, hell no, hell no. <laughs> no, no, no part of that. Am yeah. I, I'm like, I'm then it's so bizarre. You're there and it's like a hundred degrees every day and humid and dusty. And, you know, you've been on the road for months and months and months. And there's this perfect crystal clear swimming hole. And there's a crocodile at the far end of it in the water and you can see it and you're looking at it and other people get in the water and go swimming. So then you're like, I mean, it hasn't eaten them yet. I, I guess I'll just get in a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, and then before you know it, that, that's how you wind up swimming with crocodiles. That's... You just always make sure one of them is closer to the croc than you are. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, what's the what's the joke? Like, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just got to be faster than the next fastest person. Yeah. And then it leads, what it is. It leads to these bizarre things where there's a sign, a clear sign that says warning, there are crocodiles in this water. And it has a picture of a crocodile, you know, with the big sharp teeth, like in the cartoon warning sign. And then directly below it, it says like swimming at your own risk. And there's a picture like the, the same cartoon picture of a person swimming. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, like this, I don't. Uh, okay. I'll go swimming then. We have that in America at, uh, in swimming pools in like hotels where it says no lifeguards swim at your own risk. Not like active crocodiles. <laughs> that is not a thing that. That we experience at least in the uh in the northern part of the states. It's a very strange feeling, and I honestly never believed that I would do it. And then suddenly there I was swimming with crocodiles. That's yeah. So Chris pulled up a picture of uh of you wading deep in the gladiator. <laughs> have you have you uh encountered any wildlife while like actually like actively driving through a river or something? Oh no, I don't think I ever saw a fish or a crocodile or anything like that. We we tried. There's a couple of really famous river crossings up in the Northern Territory where it's extremely common as you're driving across, there will be crocodiles in the water. Like you could pretty much reach out and touch <laughs> them. And we we drove across two or three of them, but we never actually saw any crocodiles. Um, but we spoke to people who were like, oh yeah, when we were there, there was like 10 crocodiles right in the river. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. That is... You're like yeah. reasons not to get stuck in the middle of a river crossing. Usually it's like, cause you don't want the vehicle to flood. Cause you don't want to get right. washed downstream. <laughs> now you can just add because That's there's many crocodiles yeah. in the river. Oh no. Oh my gosh. No, the worst we get up here is like, you get a frog in a floorboard or, you know, like maybe a lizard of some sort, but Nothing like that. Yeah. That's yeah. So so uh yeah, I mean again, welcome back from Australia. And you know, this really seems like it was a, a different adventure from the uh the North South Americas and the uh the Africa trip. So I mean let's let's talk about Australia. I mean, what were your like high points, low points, the difficulties and you know, best parts? Tell us everything. I mean, we're, we're all ears here. <laughs> I mean, there is so much to talk about. Um, it is, uh, and I'd never seen more than about 10% of the country. So I actually even didn't fully know what I was getting myself into. Um, and it is enormous. It's way bigger than I realized. And it kind of has everything. You know, I think oftentimes you see photos of the deserts or you see photos of 
the, the four-wheel driving Chris was just showing, which is kind of way up in the northeast corner, which was incredible. But as well as that, Australia has like old growth forests down in Tasmania. It has stunning beaches all the way around. It has like rock canyons. It has rainforest. It has mountains that get snow mm-hmm. in the winter. So, so it's kind of amazing. If you travel around the whole country, you really do get to like see all of that all while you're still in the same country. So it's kind of like traveling in the US. You know, if you go coast to coast and north to south, the, the diversity is enormous. Mm-hmm. There's that, yeah, I think people don't have that scope of knowledge about Australia the same way. Like people think about the US and they think about the coast, they think about, you know, the Southwest with, you know, with Arizona and, and the deserts out there and then the Rockies and Florida. And that's what they think about the US. But people's perception of Australia tends to be just like beaches and desert. You know, how many times have you heard that there's nothing between east and west that's like the you know the uninformed trope about the country um yeah and and that being said it's kind of true (laughs) (laughs) but it's kind of amazing when you when you get into the middle of australia like there is nothing like the the one desert crossing a different desert crossing we did was 400 or 500 miles over like more than a thousand sand dunes and again we didn't see a person or a vehicle the entire time and there's, there's like nothing out there for a couple of thousand miles in any direction. Nobody so is different than nothing. Changing terrain, changing territory is very different. That is a, you know, a different thing from what we think of in America as nothing, which is wheat fields. Yeah, wheat fields and <laughs> corn and you know cows going up and right. Yeah, yeah. Out, out there, you know, there's recently. There's no buildings of any kind. There's no radio towers. There's no signs of humans other than kind of the, you know, the track through the sand dunes that someone might've driven in the last month. That That's about it. There's no fire. Yeah, there you go. So Chris just brought up, that's oh, from the air looking at the Simpson desert. Those sand dunes stretch for a thousand miles north to crazy, south. Crazy that, that, so, picked, that is from the air. Yeah, those are sand dunes. And we drove from east to west. So we had to cross every single one of those. We drove up and over all of those. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. So the, what was uh Chris go ahead? Were... The sand color there reminds me a little bit of uh Utah, the the pink sand dune um state park, I think that's called. Great Sands or is no Great Sands is in Colorado. No, it's uh it's like pink sand dunes, but it is not it didn't have nearly as much vegetation on it. Um yeah, it's been a really, really rainy couple of years in Australia. They've had like record flooding and houses destroyed and it's been really bad. But it actually meant the desert crossings we did were really green. There was there was an enormous amount of vegetation. And I always think of deserts of just being like either sand or rock. But actually, while I was in Australia, there was tons of grass, tons of trees, even mm-hmm. flowers a lot of the time we saw. So it was, yeah, it was like a, a really sort of spectacular desert scenery, which when- is not what I was expecting. What year was the the, the fire. fire that consumed a, a large portion or a relatively large portion? Was that 20 or was that? That all went down just before COVID happened. So it was all okay. like right at the end of 19 and then just into the first month of 20, I think. So they'd only just got the fires kind of all out and everyone was happy. Mm-hmm. And then COVID kicked off, I think, in March of 20, didn't it? Yeah. 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 End of January was when the first stuff started happening 
Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so there was did. enough time to have vegetation like regrow a little bit before you got out there. Yeah. And we did drive through a region that was, it was actually one of the worst places where people ended up like in a whole town, they evacuated onto the beach because everything burnt. And then they actually went out into the water and they were just stranded in the water because otherwise they would have died. Um, and so we drove through that region and it's incredible to see all of these massive trees just completely black, mm-hmm. just nothing. Yeah. And then the odd green shoot here and there, like starting to come back. Yeah. It's, I mean, to a much lesser extent, we've seen the same thing, like driving through portions of Florida, you know, yeah. like the trees are leveled at a certain point there and there's nothing in any, you know, side of your view and it's like oh yeah there was a hurricane here you know two years ago (laughs) oh this is nature nature does what nature wants dude these fire photos are nuts sorry (laughs) yeah it's gnarly i I was watching a documentary about it recently i i was researching something and ended up looking i went i was looking at videos of campfire and california and ended up doing you know going through stuff in the the fires in australia it's pretty terrifying the climate change aspect is of you know of how we all interact with the environment is certainly i mean shit it's january 25th and i'm sitting in a glass ish room and it's pouring rain not snowing you know? <laughs> which is the same system that just dropped snow on me <laughs> the yep. day before yep have I told my forest fire like evacuation plan stories on here before when I worked at that summer camp? No. So I worked I worked at a summer camp in Estes, Colorado for a couple of summers. And the second summer was the summer of the Hayman fire, which was the fairly big wildfire uh, mm-hmm. kind of west of Denver there. Um, we had two evacuation plans. Plan one was if we had to get all the kids out of camp because it was time to evacuate, we would load them in the vans and then every counselor's car would take as many children as possible. And it wasn't about as many seatbelts. It was as oh, many. And like, I had a pickup truck. Clown so car like, status. Yeah. Like I was going to fill the bed with like kids basically to get out of there. Um, that was route or evac plan one. Evac plan two is if we couldn't drive out, we were supposed to get all the kids to the football field because it was the flattest place. They were all supposed to bring their sleeping bags. And then we would turn on the sprinkler Sprinklers. system to douse their sleeping bags and then wait for a helicopter mm-hmm. to come fly us all out. Mm. Fortunately, yes, we didn't have to run either of those plans, but just knowing that they existed was a little terrifying for for yep. about a week and a half. Like it didn't just like come up and go away. It would be like, oh, there's new smoke over there today. Like just yeah. Yeah. It's wildfires crazy. are scary. Dan, yeah. did you run into any extreme circumstances whatsoever on this any uh like, <laughs> he's in australia it's in all f- extreme circumstances <laughs> you know what i mean like i mean fire is obviously not as prevalent right now but yeah we were... didn't there, there weren't any fires i don't think while i was there but flooding was a huge huge thing kind of the whole east coast and houses were getting washed away and it was terrible and we so we crossed the simpson desert like seven eight days out there didn't see a person and you pop out in this little town called Birdsville, right on the edge of the desert. And it's known as being this like ridiculously remote, quirky place. And so finally, you know, we get a hot shower, we go to the pub and have a beer and we're like, this is great. Camp in the campground and kind of stumble out of bed at like nine o'clock in the morning. And the police are right next to our campsite. And I'm like, oh, what have we done? 
And the cop's like, if you want to get out of here, you have to go right now. And I'm like, oh. what are you what are you talking about? He's like, the floodwater's coming, man. The town's already cut off. We're going to have to give you an escort out of town through the floodwater. Oh. He's like, the river's coming up like a foot every 10 minutes. He's oh, like, go, go now or you of, won't get out. What elevation is this? Or is it just totally proximity to to river that is yeah i think birdsville is almost no elevation and it's 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 such a weird one because of where it is when it rains further north they just know they they just can predict it like two three weeks ahead of time be like oh yeah it's going to flood we know it it's the water's coming it'll just take that long to get here and it happens like every five or ten years where they just get totally cut off and and so yeah we got a police escort out of town and then had to detour like I don't know, a thousand thousand miles, two thousand miles out of our way. Oh my god! Because all the roads were cut and everything was closed, and there was emergency mm. workers everywhere, and just to be able to get out, so we could sort of keep going. That's crazy. Yeah, you you couldn't just say like, I, I'm fine. I have a jeep. I'm. It's it's fine. <laughs> no, I. There's too Maybe. much water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Um... Yeah, there, there you go. That's exactly what it looks like where we were essentially because it's all desert and the ground is so flat. It, you only need a foot of water and it looks like that for the mm-hmm. next 100 kilometers. Yeah. And people yeah. don't realize that desert, like the assumption is that in a totally dry circumstance, if you pour water on it, that it just goes down. But if it's extreme dry, you pour water on it, the water just sits. It doesn't absorb the same way. And I had never even experienced it to that degree before either. And seeing it with my own eyes, I was dumbfounded. I was like, wow, the water just pools it, and it takes weeks. It doesn't go anywhere. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, let's circle back. How was the, uh, how was the gladiator <laughs> over, over your little excursion here? And, and tell us about gladiator versus wrangler. I mean, given different generations of Jeep, but. Yeah, yeah. So I I flew over there and I bought a Gladiator in Australia. So it was a right-hand drive Australian spec. Um, And I kind of had to do that because I'm a citizen of Australia, so I can't import a foreign vehicle. Um, And I I sort of did it too, because nobody's really gone traveling in Australia with a Gladiator yet. Um, Mm -hmm. They get no respect in Australia. Basically, Jeep over there has a very bad reputation. And Toyota and Nissan, right? Toyota. If you off-road, it's Toyota and Nissan. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of, I wanted to see if a Gladiator, you know, would handle the conditions and is appropriate for Australia. Um, And I tried really hard to keep it light. That was really my main goal when I built it. So it just has a canvas canopy on the back. um, And we slept in that thing on the ground there in that photo. That's called a swag. And so that's a real classic Australian kind of Bushman thing to do. It's sort of like a ground sleeping bag slash tent made out of canvas. Yeah. It's yeah. it's where tent and sleeping bag overlap. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it was sort of a pretty simple, lightweight setup, um, and it went really well. We, you know, we drove everything that I've ever dreamed of driving in Australia, from the the really difficult four wheel driving tracks up in Cape York in the north to the huge desert crossings, including the biggest one in the world. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the river crossings that sometimes has crocodiles. Um, yeah, across sand dunes, beaches, just everything, mud, tons of deep water crossings, probably more than even I bargained for. Um, and the Gladiator was great. It it did everything with ease, I'm going to say. And it was actually really funny to see the reaction of Australians 
because they're driving their Land Cruiser troop carriers or they're driving their Nissans or whatever. Mm-hmm. They've just never seen what a Jeep is capable of. <laughs> like the, the amount of flex that a Jeep can get. And I would just crawl up something in first gear low range with the Rubicon where they're having to like dump the clutch and get a whole bunch of wheel spin and, and get wheel lift and rev the engine really hard. I would walk up something and they'd be like, that that didn't even look difficult at all. You made that look so easy. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was so, it was really right. fun to, to compare it to other Australian four-wheel drives. So was yours gas or diesel? That is gas. You can only get gas okay. in Australia and you can only get it in an automatic, the Gladiator. So okay. So the crawl ratio is like 96-ish to it's like yeah, 96 to or 97 to one or so. That sounds and, right. And front and rear locked and and you have disconnectable sway bars exactly yep. okay so that's that is a, a competent package yes and, um and i mean i'm not the one to talk because i've watched the videos but tell the audience what you did to the gladiator in terms of upgrades modifications and whatnot prior to a trip like this because most people would say oh you have to do a hundred different things and it and keep it light is a, a great mojo Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I knew from the very beginning the goal was to get as remote as possible, um, and Australia has you know big remote. So first thing I added was an additional um, gas tank. So total capacity was uh, I want to say forty gallons. Um, Pretty good. So straight away, you know, a range of uh, I'm trying to do the conversions in my head, a range of six hundred miles <laughs> just off the stock yep. tanks. Yep. Um, I added a, a big water tank with a pump and a filter. Um, a big fridge, a kitchen, solar panel, you know, auxiliary battery, and then and then storage for all the food and all the gear. That that was really my main focus of the build. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of capability, I didn't want to touch the driveline at all. Um, I learned, you know, Stock in Africa, I, I didn't need to touch the driveline. So why would I, you know, mm-hmm. compromise reliability? Um, so 33-inch all-terrain tires, AEV two-and-a-half-inch suspension lift, more than anything, because I wanted to carry the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting it up that little bit did help with the breakover angle as well. Before I lifted it, I definitely did scrape the belly a few times. Um, and then after, I uh, it did it held me up a couple of times. Um, and then Gladiators wa- really benefit from like a slight suspension lift and like a one to two upsize on the tire. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it made a big difference for me. Um, and then I, I put a worn winch on the front, AEV front bumper, a snorkel, which turned out to be absolutely essential. Um, a roof rack for the first time ever. I've, I've never had one before, but I really wanted to have well, an awning this time so I could have you know good good shelter from the from the weather. Um, couldn't the have roof really rack had one on the Africa Jeep because it would have tilted all the roof rack equipment at a forty five degree angle. <laughs> Yeah, and you can actually, if, if I wanted to, I could have put a roof rack on the, the Ursa Minor pop-up roof on uh-huh. that Jeep. Um, but they do say you can only put light things up there, especially when you open the roof. Your, your um, swag. And, and well, You're not putting a yeah. spare up there. No, no, or no fuel up there, that's for sure. Oh, um, Which I ended up doing in Australia as well. I put fuel on the roof for the first time, which is definitely not my preference, but I just needed to carry so much of it. Um, I actually carried 250 liters of fuel, which I think is about 80 gallons. So I was carrying a lot of fuel to do those desert crossings. It is 
According to Google, at least 66 gallons. Which okay, 66 con- gallons of Considering of most people carry one five-gallon, like, <laughs> rotopack, you know, or jerry can, yeah. like, that is a yeah. shit ton of extra fuel. Yeah, so what did I, I had the the stock 22-gallon tank. I had the 20-gallon tank. I had two five-gallon jerrys in the back of the Gladiator, and I had three five-gallon jerrys on the roof. That's <laughs> good lord. Yeah. And for the so, for the big desert crossing for the for the thousand mile desert crossing, I drove all of that. And at about the halfway point, there's one Aboriginal community, and they have one fuel pump. And so I filled up. It was about nine dollars a gallon, I think, for gas. Oh man! <laughs> Refilled all of it again, and then kept going. And then like, so that that's how much fuel I needed because driving in the deep sand, you know, in the heat and everything, mm-hmm. the Jeep was getting, I think, about twelve miles a gallon on those desert crossings. That's really not that bad, though. I mean, considering most people with four low are doing like, you know, five to eight. Yeah. And that's that's one of the reasons why I just can't own or drive a vehicle that will get mileage like that bad because mm-hmm. I just have to carry more fuel than is even remotely possible. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 100 series with a V8. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I'm not yeah, so, going to be that. Oh, remote. man. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it, it was a big balancing act of, of being able to get, I, I mean, that is the most remote I've ever been in my life way more remote than i got in africa um and, and that was the goal and and i'm super happy that we were able to do it let's talk tires because i am a, a super hardcore tire nerd and i've run everything from extreme mud terrains to you know dedicated street tires and and in some cases uh you know 180 treadwear race tires so you correct me if i'm wrong you've been working with yokohama that's correct. Prior to Australia. Yes. And you've never had an issue. No flats? That's correct. Not a single flat, okay. not a single problem. These are Yokohama XATs. So they're kind of, they're like aggressive all-terrains that I guess mm-hmm. they blur the line between all-terrain and mud-terrain. Crossover all-terrain yep. is yep. what they've um, been called. And they've, they've been brilliant for me. And it was, it was really interesting to see. I didn't meet a single other four-wheel drive going around Australia that hadn't had tire problems, either mm. complete failures or multiple punctures. Um, and I drove a couple of the roads, like the Gibb River Road is just, everyone swears you have to have two spare tires because you categorically will destroy a tire on that road. The like road the is Dalton sim- or the Dempster, everybody exactly, says the same exactly. thing. Exactly, and- the, the road is simply that bad that you will destroy a tire. Um, and I never had a single problem. Hmm. Yeah. Any idea how much the Gladiator weighed with everything on it? Yep. I put it on the scale. It was right on its uh, GVWM. So okay. in Australia, so... they're not rated. It had a 3,050 kilogram total vehicle weight. Um, we can okay. pounds times 2.25, 6,600 yes. and 6,700 maybe. 6,724. Okay. So there you go. You... Thanks, Google. Yes, thank you, Google. Again, um, <laughs> I do this more often than I would ever care to admit. Uh, so, were they what load rating were you? Those running? are E load rated tires. They were E. Okay, how much? How loaded? Like for a long trek, um, were you running at like normal? Like, I guess normal PSI for you is probably like in the. 40 ish range and and yeah even probably 18s 
Yeah, exactly. Yep. On the on the Gib River Road and things like that, I usually went to about 20 or 22, depending mm-hmm. on kind of what speed I was going to be traveling. And for crazy stuff like that photo, I I went down to 16 or 18. And in really deep sand, I, I went down to 12 once or twice in like oh. very soft beach sand. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, yeah Elod, I mean, the E is a, a huge difference between like a normal P rated or even a C that a lot of off-roaders completely neglect um, because it's not just how much weight is carried on it, you know, in a normal like paved section of path, but also how much force comes down on it in instances like the picture that Chris just showed. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like having the e-load rating, it, it's kind of just a bit of insurance that, you know, the sidewalls are a bit tougher and that mm-hmm. the thing is going to handle a bit more abuse. And I think that's been proven that they, they were up to the challenge. So knowing I, that I finally were... found Gibb, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> was that, was that one of the road train it was a road train, oh, yeah. Okay. Are, uh, what was it, ninety-three meters long or something? So yeah, I mean, it's Lord. Yeah, they have, it's a it's an eighteen-wheeler, but it has five or six trailers on it. That's yeah. We don't do that here. <laughs> no, in Australia, it's it, Australia only does it in like some regions. It, lots of Australia they're illegal, but there are the the very remote parts that it's kind of the only way that goods are transported. Mm-hmm. So, last tire question because. This is where my nerdy in this peaks. Why all terrain or crossover all terrain and not dedicated mud terrain at this point? What I've found on my expeditions and, and going around the world is that you, you do wind up spending a good portion of the trip on pavement, even when you try not to. You, it'd probably be impossible to do less than 20 or 30% of your time on pavement. Um, even when you're off road, maybe 40 or 50% of the time it's on good gravel anyway. And so I find it's really only, let's say, 20% of the time I would say you're even thinking about using low range. You're even really, you know, four-wheel driving. And so for me, it's a big compromise where I don't want a dedicated rock crawler on 40-inch mud terrains. I kind of want a long-distance travel vehicle, you know, that is is suitable for all terrain and... Mm -hmm. All terrain tires have worked really well for me. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. and I've actually a couple of people I've met going around Africa with mud terrains, and a couple in Australia as well. They just get torn up so much faster. I find they they chunk from the gravel. They don't last nearly as long. I, I feel like mud terrains just aren't as durable, and they they don't handle you know like tens and tens and thousands of miles of kind of rough terrain. Mm. Mm. For me, it's more. If you acknowledge the way that you will use a vehicle and are okay with that, then the on-pavement characteristics are worth having to drive some obstacles differently or avoid some obstacles if you're on an AT versus an MT. And yeah, it's the same thing. It's, you know, everything is a compromise in the off-road world. The same way, you know, you're sleeping in a swag versus like an alley cab or something you know like a gfc um exactly but yeah i agree with that about tires 100 percent um and i think it was really interesting to see when the gladiator there was two or three times i had to use the winch because the gladiator just couldn't climb the obstacle and i would every one of those the belly was actually scraping and 
you know, if I had 37 inch tires, chances are it would have driven it, but they're illegal in Australia and that's a whole different story. What? So, <laughs> so, so would, would mud terrains have made the difference? It's hard to say, maybe. But but then it's a funny thing of like, okay, so I had mud terrains and I drove the obstacles. So then it's like, why did I even have a winch? It's, it, it all, <laughs> I feel like it all starts to like, there's so many different aspects to consider and so many pros and cons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a breaking point in where the net positive, net negative, like enjoyment of things all comes into play. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, like, and cost is a huge factor for me as well. Like, that too paying for this trip it was a huge amount of money for me and did i want to just spend more and more money on the vehicle you know like on i would have had to have different wheels and re-gear the axles and bigger tires are more expensive and would have used a lot more mm-hmm. fuel turning bigger heavier yeah, tires the difference between 15 and 10 miles per gallon doesn't sound like a ton because you're still talking you know terrible fuel economy compared to what most passenger vehicles get but that's 15 to 10 is a, a huge difference in fuel when you're covering yep. the mileage that you do. That's right. I, I drove almost 40,000 miles and <laughs> gas in Australia is not cheap. Like probably the cheapest I ever paid over there was like $6 a gallon US. Good Lord. So, yeah, that was cheap. Like yeah, often great. it was 7 or $8 a gallon. That's like so, living in California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it, it, that is a big, big expense. And so my goal, anything I can do to preserve fuel economy i I want to think about that and focus on that all right so hit us with your three absolute favorite parts places sections of your australia escapade had to be a wallaby good yeah good Good luck narrowing this down yeah yeah it's tough i mean (laughs) So, so you've probably heard of the old telegraph track up in it's Cape York in the far northeast corner of Australia. I think it's Australia's most famous four-wheel drive track. And it was beyond my wildest expectations, kind of in more ways than I even realized. The four-wheel so? drive is incredible. It's it's difficult. The scenery is beautiful. Um, the people that you meet, the swimming, there's crystal clear swimming holes um these amazing waterfalls oh my gosh sorry yeah we, we drove down that <laughs> is that gunshot yeah. that's gunshot there it is that's okay. me driving gunshot yeah. that's yeah is it is, so, is it as bad as it is made out to be uh yes and no uh <laughs> inter, inter it, it depends a lot on the year because the erosion changes a lot of things um mm. the original original gunshot is you can't even get to it anymore because of erosion. So we're driving that thing we drove is kind of 10 Too feet to the left of it. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, as long as you have a good spotter and they line you up, all you have to do is hold your foot on the brake as hard as you can and you just go down in a straight line. It doesn't, it doesn't actually require any skill of any kind. <laughs> so um, <laughs> and you just have to be dumb enough to do it. And then you get to the bottom and you're like, oh, that wasn't even hard. That's how most good stories start though. So. It, <laughs> And then interestingly, there's a couple of chicken tracks where you can drive around it. Everyone we met that did those, though, they got panel damage because they have corn. They look like that, but they have corners in them. And so as you go around the corner, the vehicle tips and hits the bank. Oh, Um, no. mm, mm. So, yeah, gunshot getting in. That's the easy part. Getting out. um, The Land Cruiser was like lifting tires and we had to run a winch and 
it was it was kind of technical whereas <laughs> going in it isn't technical at all really <laughs> it's, is it's this smart is this the exit uh that is i think that might be gunshot yeah yeah that could be gunshot that looks fun <laughs> yeah and that troopy that, weighs like four and a half tons so it weighs like that looks tons. gnarly that, that thing looks like it's a lot of weight of a ton <laughs> it does yeah and we like you could just lean on it and you could feel like it was going to go over oh, We're like, yeah, oh. like, yeah i feel like i need a guy pulling a sean holman pulling a, a rig down here from the front like we've seen oh, with him that yeah. Roto -Man picture <laughs> yeah and we were we all we all jumped on the front of that thing many times yeah okay so <laughs> he had a lot of handlebars so you're good that's right. Yes, seriously. So Tully Track was one of the highlights. What else? Tell us. Tully Track was a highlight for sure. Um, the Canning Stock Route. So that is the one. It's a thousand miles, the most remote four wheel drive track in the world. Sand dunes. We saw wild camels every day. Um, oh, it, camels. It, yeah. Oh, cows. It, it surpassed my expectations just in terms of the, the kind of the heaviness or the like the seriousness of the whole thing. Because really old every day you just get in and drive it, it's not difficult in commas but as the days go on and you're like holy crap we are really really far from the world right now like for you other, to say that it other, must other, really other, be something you know like <laughs> other than the satellite beacon that we have in our little grab emergency bag you know if the jeep bursts into flame we have to get that bag out of the vehicle or we will die there there mm -hmm. is absolutely no possible other alternative than we will die it is not okay. possible that that we can get ourselves out of here it's on our own. So interesting that you have an actual go bag in your go vehicle because most people have that in their house, you know, for like shit hitting the fan. Yeah, yeah, and of course, you know, carrying sixty-seven gallons of gasoline <laughs> on top. There, <laughs> if it catches oh, okay. on, I mean, I mean, I had my fire extinguisher, but I kind of knew that it was inadequate. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Real, real fast on fire extinguishers. Is it like a pressurized fire extinguisher, or do you have one of those element stick things? No, I just had a pressurized one, just kind of old okay. school. Yeah. There's, there's uh, part of me that wants to throw those element things in every vehicle just because they seem so simple and lightweight. They but do I think seem it's a amazing. One use thing. They yeah, are... they, they seem amazing. Maybe, maybe I'll get one next time and, and see how it goes. Yeah. Who did we? We've had. Was that Adam Shallow that was talking those up and down? I don't know. I somebody who's been. I love watching the videos of people grabbing them and saving vintage cars or whatever all the time because they're a non-toxic, non-corrosive substance. Yeah. And so, if you've yeah. got a vintage vehicle, that's the one to use it in. Mm -hmm. Well, you keep that in mind for your, you know. Next What's year. up, Element? Send me some fire extinguishers. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I just bought. A, they're not a tiny, cheap, so I just <laughs> literally like two weeks ago bought one of those like not pocket size, but small kitty fire extinguishers with the the yeah. you know racket that you can bolt onto the side of like the D pillar. So yeah. That's part of my upcoming weekend project should the weather cooperate. But okay, so what what else? Any uh any other like when you sit back on a normal night and think about it like the absolute best parts of your of your whole trip. You know, it's funny to say, but Australia actually has some incredible swimming holes. And so you, you're out in the middle of the desert. You've been out there for seven days and you come across like a legitimate hot spring. Like, and I didn't know Australia has like legit, it's hot water and it's in the middle of nowhere. And there was one that was like as big as a lake. 
There's the and, and they're hard to find and they're few and far between. But when you find them, it, it feels like a real reward. Have you done any digging into the geology? Not digging into the geology. Yeah. Digging into the geology behind that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I didn't know, but I guess Australia has what they call the Great Artisanal Basin. Under let's say two thirds of the continent, there is a massive amount of fresh water, and it's been down there for like three million years. Um, and it's so deep that it just gets hot, and then it comes out of the earth in certain places. Right. Um, huh. The, yeah, the and heat and pressure has to evacuate itself up. In exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and in places you even get those cool formations that rock, hot springs always leave. You know where they're they're putting all the calcium deposits, and you you mm-hmm. kind of get those mounds and all the kind of funky colors and um. But all the, so hot springs I loved, but also there's a lot of like fresh water swimming holes as well. Um. Yeah, and the radioactive one that's pretty fun. <laughs> the hazmat, <laughs> the radioactive hazmat. So that is actually the only hot spring in the world that is heated by the decay of uranium. So Ah. legitimately, that is heated by nuclear decay. Um, Yeah, it's the only one in the whole world. (laughs) Yeah, nothing daunting about that. (laughs) No, lots of warning signs, lots of do not swim, lots of do not hang around for too long because the gas bubbling out of it is actually toxic as well. Yes, if you continue to rear this in, there will be a problem. Yeah. Um, all right, we are crunching on time. So let's do hardest <laughs> four by four sections of your entire Australia adventure. Oh, the old telly track by far is number one. Um, and then there's a couple of tracks near there. One's called the Kreb track, one's called uh, Frenchman's track. They both have some like really intense obstacles that the one that. river crossing we looked at for maybe three or four hours. We would not, not <laughs> like, happy to do it but we did in the end and it was great you looked at it for three four hours oh yeah and like walked it and swam it and moved rocked around and Man. like talked about it and yeah usually yeah, we ended up like winching all the vehicles together and you know going one at a time and multiple yeah. spotters and yeah it was it was a thing that's a different kind of off-roading like at least in the atv utv community which is you know what i've done 50 percent of my off-roading in is three to four minutes of looking at something and not trying it is is really wrong <laughs> yeah yeah oh, oh man what about uh what about fraser island I, that's like uh, when, when we were talking about talking to joel um joel strickland is one of our favorite guests best friends of the show <laughs> he's australian i don't know dan if you know him but joel's no. the best um he's, and- he's an automotive photographer out of melbourne Okay, cool. And he was the first one that told us about Fraser Island. He was like, uh-huh. "Yeah, people people really fuck up over there." They so, <laughs> so you you seem to have not fucked up, but you didn't have any like of the crazy YouTube moments that you know the place is famous for. Yeah, no, we spent ten days there. Um, we saw some of the carnage. We saw other people that fucked up, but I think <laughs> Fraser Island's a really funny one because you get a lot of people there who who either think they know what they're doing and they don't, or they just clearly don't know what they're doing and they know they mm. don't. Like we met people who were driving around on the softest beach sand I've ever seen at 35 PSI. And when we told them they needed to lower their <laughs> tire pressures, they would say, yeah, we did. We went down from 40. We're good. We lowered our pressures. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And so they're the people who get stuck. They're the people who then the waves inundate their car and you know mm. it gets destroyed. And they're, they're just yeah. wheel spinning all day long on soft beach sand. Whereas I drove onto the island, went down to, I think, 16 PSI, and I don't think I ever even spun a wheel 
even like on the the hardest four wheel drive obstacle on Fraser Island, I just walked like didn't even spin a tire. Is that the the hill thing that goes like up through and then back down? Exactly that. Yeah, it's called yeah. Ingala Rocks, and it has it's a, it's a pretty decent climb up really soft sand and sort of in both directions. You know, so when you go out, you have to climb it, and then on the way back, it's a big mm-hmm. climb as well. And and I've seen YouTube videos where guys are hitting that at full throttle, fourth gear, like full send smashing into their bump stops you know mm-hmm. massive carnage breaking everything and i crawled up it in second gear without spinning a tire because i just had low tire pressures so i think yeah. you know it, I mean, works. It, island's one of those funny ones where you can get some really good youtube footage if you want oh my god we went full throttle it was crazy or you can just use your brain and kind of drive. <laughs> Do what's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So drive it's, it's the way. When those, those Fraser Island videos are recommended to me on YouTube, uh, you know, I click through, you get to Angala Rocks, and they are just full send carnage. And I'm like, that's utterly unnecessary. But yeah. yeah. How that goes. <laughs> it's, I mean, you have to go to Fraser, though. It is stunningly beautiful. Like my jaw fell open when I drove to the northern tip. There's a big sand dune right beside you. And you, you kind of drive between a sand dune and the ocean and I was like, oh my God, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my whole life. That's like northeast-ish corner of Australia? Yes. Yeah, just sort of off Brisbane. So yeah, eastern coast. Okay. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very achievable. You could could fly into Brisbane, rent a four-wheel drive and spend an incredible week on Fraser Island. Like, unforgettable. So long as you don't... Sorry, I've found the images of the rocks... Oh my gosh! Come on, they're all not appropriate. Yeah, dude, I remember the show with Joel when he told us about this, and we like there was radio silence when we were looking at pictures of of how stupid people are. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know why we're surprised. I mean, yeah. So yeah, Fraser Island was was definitely a highlight. I mean, there's there were a lot of highlights. There were a lot of places that I've always wanted to go to, and finally getting there and being like, oh my god, this is incredible. (laughs) Just the. The line of four oh. by fours in the background yeah. of this. As and you are like, how do we do this? You punch in on yeah. that so we can like at least criticize the line, like the, the vehicular <laughs> incompetence going on. I mean, the first one <laughs> that looks like an 80. Which yeah, one? there'll be lots of 80s and 100s. There'll be like Isuzu D-Maxes in there. Yeah, the trailers be- are what always get me. I'm like, ha. Yeah, we don't yeah. we don't have D Maxes here. We have Colorados no. and, and Canyons, which are kind of the same thing. But yeah, you know, yeah, lots of Ford Rangers are really popular over there now. They come in a diesel. Um, Prado is extremely popular, and then Prado. the two hundred series Land Cruiser because it, it comes with the four and a half liter turbo diesel V eight, so it's extremely mm. popular. Sad, not what yeah. mine has. <laughs> <laughs> well, our the other Prado we know. Lunched an alternator tonight. <laughs> it's on a yeah, tow truck right now. the conversation yes. a half hour or an hour and a half ago was, uh, ah, yes, I'm so glad I owned it. Oh, no, I may have, may have yeah. found a photo of that. <laughs> Yikes. Sorry, Camille. Yeah. yeah. But well, it, it definitely was interesting in Australia. I think I saw more 70 series Land Cruisers than every other kind of vehicle put together. What? Yeah. And and it was so crazy, actually. We did a fair bit of four-wheel driving with some guys in, you know, the troop carriers and they have them all outfitted. They didn't know each other and their Land Cruisers were so identical, they actually struggled to know which vehicle was theirs. They would go to get it and get in the wrong one because you have the roof rack, the front bumper, 
the tires, the wheels, the suspension. And and when I say the, I mean like there's only one brand that you would even consider. And they only come in two or three colors anyway from the factory. Tan, gray, black, white. It's tan, white, and there's a dark blue color. And I've only ever seen like three of them. So tan and white are the only two colors. And I'd say 95% of them are tan. Did you remind them that they have number plates? Yeah, I guess you could do that. Um, but it was it was really strange to see. You end up with this like follow the leader procession of like hundred and fifty thousand dollar Land Cruiser followed by hundred and fifty thousand oh dollar ding ding. Every God. they're identical in every possible aspect, and they're all just one at a time driving the obstacle. Just did you yeah. happen upon a single other Gladiator in your travels? I happened upon one in the Victorian high country. Yep. A guy was what? driving one of the harder tracks and he was loving it. And on the road one time up in Queensland on the highway, I passed one going the other direction and he'd had like a rooftop tent and a rack. Did you do the Jeep wave? <laughs> oh, I definitely did the Jeep. Oh, yeah. The, the, the wave? You did a big Jeep wave, yep. Oh, boy. All right. Um, are, um, are, you, yeah. uh, are you planning any adventures for Western Canada? I am. I've got lots of adventure plans in the works. Um, I'm building a new vehicle. I'm gearing up towards another international trip to a, to a whole new part of the world. Um, but all of that isn't quite public yet. I'm, I'm still, I'm kind of one of those people. I'm a bit reticent to talk about what I'm going to do just in case plans change or just in case I can't deliver on what I said. In, in case COVID-20 I, happens. <laughs> exactly. So, so I'd much rather uh, just sort of be the kind of person who does it. And then, mm-hmm. like, instead of saying, this is what I'm going to do, I'm more like, this is what I do. So, but you've done, like, Alaska prior in the TJ. So, you're not you're not looking at, you know, the month of March saying, okay, I have to leave where I am and I have to, you know, <laughs> you know drive uh, uh, 800 miles west. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I used to live in the Yukon right next to Alaska, um, and I miss it a lot. So, I, I, I do want to get back up there for sure. And I do, I kind of have this idea of driving up there like in the dead of winter, go all the way to the Arctic Ocean when it's like minus 45, mm-hmm. um, just for fun. Jump just, in, yeah. Just for a challenge. Have you yep. have you heard of the Alcan Rally? I have. And, and the Alcan Rally is interesting because they do it right at the end of February. And actually the end of February is like the most beautiful time in the world up there. The days are really long. It's actually warm by Arctic standards. It's only like minus 20 or minus 30 or something. And so it's actually I, i've been a couple of times at that time of year and you, you can drive on the arctic ocean and like it's it's pleasant it's actually like beautiful whereas me being me i kind of feel like going up there like end of december when the sun <laughs> won't come up at all when it's it miserable be, it will be pitch black for like a month or two mm-hmm. so yeah it could, could be interesting times i love it <laughs> crazy so as we brush up on the end of the show the tease for the next adventure, the next vehicle and whatnot. Um, can we expect any preemptive talk about this? Like you're still writing for Overland Journal, right? Is that a, that's right. That's, that's still going on. Okay. Yep. Um, we have many of friends of the show who we hope to see at our potential <laughs> Expo East. It's like, it's like every third episode is somebody from Overland. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Richard and We're... Ashley, to name, you know, two of yes. them. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, so we're all big Graham nailed down. I need to nail down Graham. Hmm. Yeah, Graham's a hard guy to pin down, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Scott. Scott, too. 
Okay, yep. yeah. I, I actually have still never met Graham in real life, although we've probably exchanged like 300 emails at this point. <laughs> I shook his hand at Expo okay. West, so he is yep. real. He's a real he person. Exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, there there is some things on the horizon. I'm just working now on I will probably be at Overland Expo West mm-hmm. um, with the new vehicle is the plan. Northwest Overland Rally, BC Overland Rally, um, Overland Expo Pacific Northwest, and then SEMA at the end of this year. I think Woo! I'll Ooh. I think I'll be at all of those with the new vehicle. That is the current plan that I'm working on. I just yes. have a, a lot of things to figure out between now and then. SEMA, so 42 inch tires and 29 inch wheels. <laughs> Sorry, I had. To I, I better go bigger. I think, and like maybe two superchargers. I was thinking. See, yeah. I, and I'm just putting this out there. I'm not trying to, you don't have, have to acknowledge any of this. I think you'll go smaller in rear wheel drive only. Like you've done all the all very right. capable four by four stuff. I see you in a rear wheel drive only just having some fun sliding around now. 325, <laughs> 1988, black, uh, uh, an 80 series bumper ARB mocked up. Yeah. Yeah. Front springs from yeah. a, a D130. <laughs> Yeah. You know, if I was going to do it, I would probably just get like a Mercedes station wagon with like an OM617 in it that already has like a million miles on it. Yeah. And I would like, yep. wouldn't even do anything to it and just drive it around the world. Well, maybe, we maybe one, some spacers. We know, one, <laughs> we know what just, one is with a Hemi in it, but it doesn't run. So. <laughs> well, maybe I'll just push it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Does it still have the Hemi in it? Uh, Sorry, Jeff, we need to reschedule. Actually, no, actually. <laughs> Uh, the last was that the Hemi was coming out, and then there was an LS going in. But I thought, but I don't think there was any confirmation that there had been any any progress from A to B. So not right. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna wrap up the show real fast. So you can rate and review us wherever you listen to a podcast. I normally say iTunes. I'm not going to this time because iTunes doesn't exist anymore. Apple you can like it. Yeah, you can like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, follow Dan. He's at the road shows me everywhere. Everywhere. That's right. His own website, the YouTube channel, the Instagram. Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter, but I rarely use it. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't normally see you on there. And, uh, and I will say, go back and read Dan's old written books. stories with pictures from <laughs> from way back when. They're good stories. They are. Uh, you can follow Hooniverse, the Hooniverse on Twitter, the Real Hooniverse on Instagram. Ross is no, not like the one from Friends, and I'm at Overlane and Den. And we did it. We did a show. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, thank Come you visits. guys. That was fun. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Yeah. If you end up going to Mountain West, maybe I'll try and pull that in. But I think I drove to Flagstaff last spring, and I don't know that I want to do that again. <laughs> and that's how I feel about Mountain West. I like it's a pretty long drive for me, and I yeah, I don't know. I don't need to do that many miles again. Yeah, just, no. just skip it and come to Expo East. But yeah, it's even farther. <laughs> yeah, but if you're if you're gonna do a trip, at least do a trip. You know? Yeah, and then there's like this Toledo Jeep Fest, and then it, uh, yeah, there's Toledo Jeep Fest. <sighs> no, it was good. It was really good in 2019. Was it? I loved it. Oh, it's excellent. Really? Yeah, yeah, really fun. Really like, I mean, Jeep people are crazy, and it's just fun to be around them. 